you know, people will look at a deal and then they see an asset and they, and they see the, the the upside and they're like, oh, this deal, this deal, this asset, this real estate business is going to be great when it's in my hands. I will gladly put hard earnest money down. But my conclusion in all of this is like, you really need to be understanding the previous owners. What are the sellers? What are the operators? Like, did they, did they have a business plan? Did they, what did they neglect? Is there a theme that we're seeing in all the units with just, you know, neglected plumbing or nobody's replacing flooring or nobody's paying, nobody's executing some aspect of the business plan that is blatantly obvious to you that should have been executed. So I would, whenever people are talking about hard earnest money, I want to know the owner's just as much as I would know the asset. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I have the pleasure of having Tommy Brandt in with me today. Tommy, how are you, man? Jerome, you know, I'm great. Short answer is I'm great. You know, you've you've had a, a lot of superstars on this podcast here, so I'm really just truly humbled and honored to be here and, uh, you know, have an opportunity to contribute to your listeners. Man, that contribution is the ultimate gift. So for the listeners who may not know about you and where you've been and what you've been up to. Give them a little bit, man. Let them know who you are. For sure. Yeah. So my name is Tommy Brandt. I'm a recovering electrical engineer based out of the Nashville submarket. So I've been here 13 years last January, ever since I graduated Georgia Tech. I went full-time in real estate last August. Uh, and so with a focus on multifamily syndication, but I got a, uh, <laughs> I got a, a portfolio consisting of some single family, long-term single family, short-term um, invested in a couple apartment syndication uh, through some chips on a new development deal. And I'm a joint venture on a storage facility as well. Wow. You're rocking and rolling, man. You got the income coming in. That's awesome. <laughs> so through all of those, so those are the deals you own. I guess you just bought everything you looked at, right? <laughs> On the single family side, I kind of it took me a while to figure out what it what it uh, you know fit my buy box there. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm an LP in two apartment deals, uh, LP on a development deal, and uh, I, I guess one of the things we're going to talk about is my first GP deal that uh, eluded me. So a lot of emotional turmoil that I've gone through on that one. But uh, we we've got a couple in the hopper, so you know we recovered just fine. Recovery is part of the game. If you don't give up, you can't lose. So talk to me about this deal. Where was it? What happened? Like, Give us the backstory. For sure. Yeah. Th this, oh my gosh, Jerome, th this was, it came in and it was just like, it, it fit everything we'd been looking for. And so this was about, I guess I'll break it down for you. So this was a Brock, a pocket listing from a broker came in on Sunday and then we were under contract, had the team identified just because we knew the market. The property was in the submarket of Nashville, 52 unit apartment complex. And we're like, okay, you know, this is a good size for us to take down with a small intimate team. And we were under contract executed by the following Sunday. And so within wow. a week, we had the team assembled. We had it underwritten. We knew it was a deal. We had a couple of lenders picked out and we knew who our property manager was going to be. And so that's one of those things where it's like, I can't be dabbling 
and and be able to move that fast in a, in a week's time. It helps that you're you're focused on your market first, and then you're assembling the team around your market. So that's a good time. So that's kind of how we we source the deal. There's been really just one broker that we've been building a relationship with uh, for for the better part of a year. And so that really came to fruition with that deal. And so we we had a pretty good idea who all was who all had seen the deal. And we just assembled a team around the strongest players that had access to that one. So wait, so I've I've never heard that strategy. So you went to the other people who you think the broker shared the deal with and said, hey, instead of competing, let's collaborate. Yeah. And and one of them is, is more or less like the 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 favorite, you know, of this broker. And so, and, and we'd been, you know, making some offers on other properties together and, and he's super busy. And so we're like, all right, well, let's, we'll do, you know, the, the underwriting 12 different ways possible. We'll do the, the market analysis. We'll do the investor deck, you know, investor relations, all that good stuff. We just need you to sign on as, you know, experience and, and just have your name on a piece of paper. And so I think it was, we, we had underwritten it a number of times. Like I said, we got it on Sunday. We'd underwritten it a number of times, got the heads up on what are the new developments coming to the city, this, that, and the other. And we brought it all to him on Tuesday. He said, like, this is this is everything that we know. He's like, I like it. I think y'all are conservative here, here, and here, here. I think there's a lot of upside to this deal. By the way, I think I got some connections that are really good on the, the lending side. I think this is going to make this a screaming good deal at this purchase price. You know, I'd like to participate. You sleep on it. And, and y'all let me know if y'all want me part of the team. And so my partner and I, we we talked after that. We're like, okay, this is a no-brainer. We know we want him, but what are like the obvious gaps? And we're like, all right, well, we need, you know, a seasoned asset manager. And he was like, I know a guy. And so we've just assembled a team in short order based off of what we knew at the time. But yeah. That's outstanding. So I, I think this is a key point for the listeners because folks who are doing their first deal, trying to lead their first deal think that they're just going to join somebody else's team and everything's going to be great. But you took the deal, you took action, figured out the underwriting, decided that it wasn't just a lead, but truly a deal. And then presented that to somebody who had more experience than you did. And they were like, I'm interested in joining the team. So you created value for yourself in just that part alone. Is that correct? You know it. Yeah. And so who wrote the contract? Was it you and your partner? Was it some entity that you guys created? Was it the favorite uh, in air quotes? Yeah. Who who was the guy or who was the lead on that? Yeah. So as far as signing on the contract for initial one, uh, that was that was actually just me. He was. I don't. I don't think I need to be on the initial one, and we'll do a, a DBA later yeah. on, doing business as later on after we get an LLC form through syndication and uh, all that good stuff. So that was just my name on the initial one. But we kind of came together and we said what terms that we wanted. Right, we wanted the ability to buy thirty day extensions with more earnest money down. You know, contingent upon satisfactory inspection. You know, the, kind of the normal stuff. But we didn't have to do hard money or anything like that, because it was just kind of like, you know, the, the broker was just like, I just want reasonable buyers. I've dealt with a lot of buttholes in the past. And I just, <laughs> I just want people I like to work with, which is refreshing that that's still out there. And they're not, you know, pushing price and the highest and best, it, this, that, and the other. Okay. 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 And so it sounds like everything's going perfectly. Like every other deal, like this is just how it's supposed to go. Broker gave me something I can work with. Mm-hmm. I got the team I need. You guys should be riding off into the sunset. Mailbox money every month. That's it. That's it. That should be the case, right? In my mind, like that definitely should be the case. And so 
we get to where we're doing due diligence and inspection. And um, we were a little concerned about the roofs and the, the interiors of the building. And so we get to inspection day and it really wasn't anything that we couldn't navigate, right? The, the roofs definitely need to be replaced, but we had budgeted a quarter million dollars just for the roofs of all these buildings. So we're like, okay, no, no real surprise there. But the thing that was surprising was that the, the roof inspector was like, you know, there've been some recent storms, probably just get them to file an insurance claim. You pay a higher premium than you want, but you wouldn't have to pay a quarter million dollars, you know, up front. you would pay it and just, you know, a higher insurance as you go. And, and that'll casually drop. But the thing that was really surprising was just the 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 foundation issues, just a number of them. They were there was thirteen quadplexes that made up the fifty two units. They all had um, an open. They had a, a door on the rear and the front as well, and so that kind of made up the breezeway, if you want to think about it that way. So it was you know, breezeway, um, but there was you know just thirteen buildings with two entrances on them, and the doors were always open. So inclement weather, rain gets in, you know, no one's shutting the doors. There's low security things to worry about there. Um, and so it really just kind of translated to foundation issues. Um, again, not really anything we couldn't navigate. We asked for, you know, an, an extra $150,000 in repair concessions. They were, you know, a little slack jawed at it, but that it was kind of their fault, right? They'd owned the property for two years and hadn't for done any yeah, they hadn't done any like CapEx injection to the property. So it's just like the, we, it was funny because we had the inspector that they had when they bought the property two years ago. And the guy's like, nothing's changed. Same report. It's, Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we actually got a discount for it. He's like, I, there's a lot that I can reuse. So, and, and he knocked like half off the inspection. So it went from, you know, 4,000 to 2,000 on the inspection report for 13 buildings, crawl spaces. So, you know, sampled electrical panels, which is, we, we took that. But then we also, I think we ended up with like 1,500 pictures on inspection day. And so there was a couple of stuff that we added to the inspection report. And there's like, okay, well, yeah. he missed this this crack in this foundation and where these cats were torn up the AC ducts under the the house and stuff like that. So it's, it's good that we, we did our extra due diligence there. But like I said, we had asked them to, instead of us paying for the roofs, you know, please exercise an insurance claim. Here's a roofer that can help you do that. By the way, can we get some money off of um, the purchase price or just cash back credit at closing that type of thing. And so begrudgingly agreed to all of that. And then we started getting more of the intimate accounting details. And this is really where it started going south. Jerome. Okay. And so, um, so well, how'd you underwrite it? Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. Wait, now the broker put something together for you guys. You got some financials, you did your model and now you go do your due diligence and the way we teach it. And I think the way you're doing it is after you did your due diligence inspection, you had to go back and sharpen your pencil and, and see what you're actually buying. Cause you know, what the broker gave you with this new information, things may be different. Am I right? Sure. Well, with the cash back at closing that, that kind of made it all tolerable. So they're like financially speaking, based off of due diligence and inspection, like we really weren't much different than going okay. into it after concessions. Right. Yeah. But you, you found out some stuff during financial due diligence on yeah. what was presented to you. Is that for sure? Yeah. And so Come on, you, give it to me. You're holding out. Man. Come on. So um, I guess the, some of the backstory is, uh, so, I mean, the short of it is there's over $120,000 in delinquent rents. And so, <laughs> so the backstory there is that um, the PM franchise out of Nashville that was, you know, brought on to manage the property. They hired someone local to the property. They actually hired a tenant 
that lived in the property to manage the property. And so it got to where they missed a rent payment and didn't get audited, didn't get, you know, bank rack or anything like that. And it's just like, you know, they realized they were the hammer, right? And if they're not coming down in their self, then so they missed another one. They didn't, then they just got to where they just blatantly not paying rents. By the way, they're telling their roommates, the roommates are talking to other people. And so it got to where they were effectively like coaching people on how to not pay. They're like, send me a check. I just won't cash it. And so it got, it got out of control. Um, so I think that we showed about half of the tenant base wasn't paying for multiple months at a time. There, there's also, you know, people filing for housing assistance and stuff like that. And, and, you know, when it get, when it gets to be something like that, the payments get lumpy. And so that was where I guess options at that point were there could be a substantial discount on purchase price to convey the risk. The challenge was the person that bought it before also syndicated and they said, well, if I'm going to sell, it has to be at this range. Otherwise it doesn't make sense for me to sell and incur a loss. And you know, it's just easier for him to hold on to the property. Right. And so the other alternative at that point is we do some sort of like master lease with option to buy. And so we're taking over the property, we're running it, we're doing the evictions. We've got our, our dream team PM in there. We're doing the renovations, how we want it, that type of thing. The challenge, there's two challenges there. One challenge is if you're doing master lease with option, there's really no capital injection, right? From investors closing and title and all that stuff. So we would have had to take a private loan, you know, construction loan, something, something along the lines to get us capital to start doing renovations, exterior capex, et cetera. And that, you know, not impossible. Right, but we'll just call it a barrier. The second challenge is there's really nothing to stop the owner from just saying, you know what, you guys have done such a great job, sue me, and you know, suffer in court for multiple months. Or God forbid, he gets hit by a bus and it now becomes an estate situation and the kids are like, No, I don't want to sell this and you need my approval. And by the way, you need my sister's approval. And you know, anyway, so we talk about risk. It got to where master lease just didn't really seem feasible. We didn't know the guy. He was out in California and there was just no, no, we'd never done business before together. So we didn't really see the master lease with option taking other people's money into a deal like this as being the way. And so, and then the other option was to back out. You know, if, if that was a, we talked about it a little bit, but if this was a JV where we were bringing our capital into the deal and we acknowledge the risk, but also acknowledge the upside, like there's probably a world where we would have done it, you know, but we were planning on syndicating. We already had the PPM written up and stuff like that and taking other people's money into a deal at that risk level. Like it, it just didn't, it was just outside the box, you know? A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, we can't. How the much contract money on did that. you have in the deal? I mean, if you got a PPM, you got an inspection. You might have an appraisal pay for you may have paid a bank fee at this point. Like, I mean, how much money did you have (laughs) at risk at this point? 
Yeah. So we had put 41,000 for earnest money. We had put in 15,000 for uh, like syndication fees, legal fees, stuff like that. Inspection was 2,000. The, uh, the earnest money was refundable. So we did end up getting that back. The syndication fees that is still paid for. And so that's lingering. And so the idea there is as long as us four individuals do another deal mm-hmm. in the future, we can cut a doing business as and reuse that money. And so as of right now, we haven't recouped those losses, but uh, the idea is that whenever this property gets corrected by the current owner and we revisit it in six to nine months, it'll go into effect. We'll see. Um, and then the inspection report, right? That's that's basically $500 out of pocket for everybody. So we kind of see like the, the net loss right now as $500 per person because we we do we're all still interested in this property we got a recent appraisal at, at around the purchase price so we think we can still buy it and make sense out of it uh, if we can get the loan product that we want but yeah I think gross gross losses at this point is um floating around 17 if we don't get together as a back back as a team wow that's not terrible yeah but we didn't to- we didn't have hard money and you know, yeah. so it, not as bad as a lot. I, there was another property in Nashville where uh, there was a, a team in Arizona that had a property under contract and it was like over $200,000 hard and they walked away from that deal. So it's not <laughs> not nearly as bad as what I hear going on in the market nowadays. So I I, called, I consider this tame. Okay. And so have you made any changes to your process that will keep you from losing this type of cash again? Or There's, making mistakes with, you know, financial due diligence. Yeah, Jerome, there's there's one big takeaway from me, but it actually doesn't have a lot to do with, with this deal, but it's more just my thoughts around hard earnest money. And so I think part of the reason this deal didn't work out is because the previous operator wasn't operating like they should have, right? They didn't, they didn't, it just didn't look like they had a business plan. Right. They didn't have local boots on the ground. They didn't execute any sort of CapEx or business plan or anything like that. So if they would have done everything as I learned it, at least, I think we could have transacted. I think it would have been great. Um, but there's, you know, a red flag on the operator here, 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 here. And so when it comes to hard earnest money nowadays, it's like, you know, people will look at a deal and then they see an asset and they, and they see the, the, the upside and they're like, oh, this deal, this deal, this asset, this real estate business is going to be great when it's in my hands, I will gladly put hard earnest money down. But my conclusion in all of this is like, you really need to be understanding the previous owners. What are the sellers? What are the operators? Like, did they, did they have a business plan? Did they, what did they neglect? Is there a theme that we're seeing in all the units with just, you know, neglected plumbing or nobody's replacing flooring or nobody's painting, nobody's executing some aspect of the business plan that is blatantly obvious to you that should have been executed. So I would, whenever people are talking about hard earnest money, I want to know the owners just as much as I would know the asset. Well said, because the current owners are the ones that have created the situation that's there. And I say owners, but I think property managers, asset managers, and owners all work together as one mm-hmm. in operating or executing the plan. So the final question and one I ask everybody is... What words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? I guess to, uh, I'll leave it to to those that are looking to get started. You know, generally speaking, just get educated and then pick your market and then uh, network. Always be networking, right? So always be 
you know, talking to other people, whether you're looking for new investors or new partners to, to start up your company with, or, or just like-minded people uh, to keep you motivated. So always be networking for sure. Uh, okay. Looking for uh, mentors in the space as well. You know, just always be trying to find some, something that can help you get 1% better every day. And Tommy, the listeners were like, man, I got to learn some more from this guy. How can they get in contact? For sure. I appreciate that, Jerome. Yeah. And my name is Tommy Brandt. I'm uh, B-R-A-N-T is in Tommy. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I will be on YouTube one day. I'm not there yet. I'm still I'm still growing. I'm still adulting there. And uh, I guess if you want to check out what we're doing, you can check us out at tbcapitalgroup.com. I'm also wrote a book uh, for your listeners. So, you know, I, I am an engineer. It is very detail oriented, so I can't help but be detail oriented, but it's called the Passive Investor's Guide to the Multifamily Universe. And so that is my my gift to anyone that takes a look at the website there. And so I do not monetize that. Y'all can go grab that at your leisure. Awesome. Tommy, great learnings. Solid process, man. You said you learned how to do it. You learned well, obvious you went through some formal education, man. So I, w- I wish you a ton of luck and hope you guys get to reuse that PPM because that's money well spent. <laughs> to the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you. Ooh.